verses 1 through 9. And as you, uh, as you make your way there, uh, Nathaniel just touched on this uh, a little bit. I wanted to touch on it as well. Uh, to, to, to those who are, who are moms, to those who aspire to be moms, to all the motherly things. Man, happy Mother's Day. I just want to take this time to, uh, ladies, sisters, I want to honor you in that. And I just want to say, man, God loves you. And, and every time, it's in particular when uh, I think about Mother's Day and I think about the women in our church, I'm scrolling through this very quickly. Um, I think about Proverbs 31. Um, but my favorite verse on Proverbs 31 is actually, uh, it's verse 26, uh, verse 25, uh, where, where he writes, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I think that is such a baller verse for women, uh, because that just shows how this woman is grounded and steadfast in her worth, in her value, in her identity that is in Christ. And so that would be my prayer for you ladies, that your value, dignity, and worth would be found ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. And though things uh, like tomorrow uh, seem a little uncertain, that you would actually laugh in the face of the future because you're so grounded in the person and work of Jesus. Um, we're going to be diving into uh, a new sermon series for the next six weeks. It's called Revival. Uh, the, the subtitle of it is, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's Renewal in the Ordinary. The idea behind this sermon series, the idea behind this sermon series is that we want to address a couple of things that tend to be uh, a little loud and a little common, uh, particularly in our church, not just culturally. And my hope is that in this series, that the Holy Spirit would, would actually draw us closer to himself through the ministry of his word. And, uh, and so in light of that, uh, what I'd like to do is read Psalm 85, verses 1 through 9, and then I want to talk a little bit more. Uh, and again, if you, if you just joined us, we're in Psalm 85, verses 1 through 9. If you're new, we have Bibles in the rows uh, before you, and in the back, that's our gift to you, so please make sure you take one. Um, and so, yeah, let's, let's dive into Psalm 85. I'll read it, I'll pray, and we'll start, we'll start going through all of this. This is what the psalmist writes. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in your land. Let me pray. God, as we come before you in prayer, um, Lord, my simple prayer is that your word would be as sweet as honey. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present among us. I pray that you would be present among us and that you would both comfort 
and convict us. That you would do a work in us. That you would do a work in us where you awaken our sleeping hearts or you revive dead ones. God, we pray all these things to you in your name alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, y'all ready? There we go. So, so for many, and, I've, and I've, I've had the pleasure of getting to meet with many of you, and so this is kind of where this, I suppose, this introduction is coming from. But for many, it's been kind of a tough year, or maybe a, a hard season. And it's been for a variety of reasons. For some, it's been a season where you just feel like you're treading water. Other of you, maybe you feel emotionally disconnected. Some of you may even feel spiritually dry. And as I've met with many of you, many of you have shared things like a lack of contentment. Maybe you have had a heaviness just weighing you down because of sin. Maybe it's a lack of worship. Maybe you just feel like God is so yesterday. Maybe you would agree with one individual who I met with earlier this week, and they'd said, I just feel like my walk with the Lord or my relationship with God is both dry and arrogant. We are in need of revival. Now, that word revival might even bring up some concern, right? It might even bring up some concern. It might even scare some of you because if, if you're anything like me, uh, and I, haven't, I wasn't raised in the church, and so oftentimes when I've heard or seen the word revival in my mind, I immediately go to this big tent on the fringes of the city, right? And some of you may think that. Like that, that's what a revival is. I can think back, oh, it was a little less than 10 years ago. Uh, my friend Serge and I, we, we were helping another friend of ours, like in the boonies of mission, right? And he invited us over and, and he says, hey, I need you to help me out with this project. And so we go and he lays out this massive tent. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and I think I was a Christian for like three, maybe four years. Just this massive tent. And so I remember asking, what are you, you going to do with this? And he says, oh, my parents and I are getting ready for a revival. Oh, snap. Okay. All right. So, so what does that mean? Well, we're going to set up this tent and we're going to do all of these things. And it's cool and all that in the sense. And I was like, okay. All right. So revival equals tent. <laughs> Like, that, was, that was kind of all I had, right? And so the point is that often revival is associated with a big event. A big event where on the fringes of the city, there's this giant tent, and there's this preacher preaching and rousing the emotions of the people with technique and not necessarily or not always scripture. However... The word revival, when we look at it biblically and when we look at it historically, the word revival is not an event. In fact, if it's not an event, when we have that picture in our mind of the giant tent and and my friend saying, oh, my parents and I are putting together a revival, I think today I would go back and say, no, you're just putting together an evening service, bro. You're not putting together a revival. So the word revival is, is not an event. It's actually a work of 
the Holy Spirit. The word revival in its Hebraic definition is pronounced chaya, and it means to bring back to life. And as I mentioned earlier, my prayer for this sermon series is that the Holy Spirit would would convict us through the ministry of His Word and draw us closer to Himself through the ordinary. Through the ordinary. That we would see extraordinary things happen through the ordinary. In particular, when we're talking about revival, and if we associate it with an event or we associate it with arousal of emotions, oftentimes many Christians fall into one of two categories. Not always, but this might be you. And, and, and part of the reason this may be you is because hearing ordinary or hearing God at work in you through the ordinary just sounds boring. And so often we fall into one or two categories. Maybe we fall into being special event Christians. That when you read through things like Acts chapter 2 and Peter's preaching this sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved, you're like, why doesn't my life look more like that? Or maybe you read through uh, uh, the gospel accounts and you see Jesus pulling his disciples and they're doing all sorts of things like they're casting demons out and he takes them to the mountain of transfiguration and all these things are happening. You're like, man, why doesn't my life look more like that? This must have been Monday through Friday for the disciples. And so we tend to want to be special event Christians that, man, my life, my relationship with the Lord is not necessarily meaningless, but it's not necessarily abundant because I don't see some of the things that I see in Scripture that are in my life. And I think when we walk through these accounts, in particular the gospel accounts, we forget that these are special moments that the Lord brought his disciples into and they also had the Tuesday morning breakfast taco hangout. But you just don't read about it, right? So maybe we're that special event. Maybe you find yourself being a cultural Christian, and we'll talk more about this in just a minute. Maybe you find yourself as a cultural Christian where uh, the person of Jesus or, or the work of Jesus sounds good, and therefore you have a relationship with him because you go to church and don't do bad things. And so when you talk about the gospel, it's actually void of Jesus and filled with Christianese. Well, tell me about your relationship with God. Well, I go to church. Tell me about your relationship with God. I'm a part of a community group. It's really great. But it has nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, as a cultural Christian, you may even agree with a ton of things. I believe the God of the Bible. I believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Yes, all of those things. Yet what your life demonstrates is something completely different. Church, we are in need of revival And so before I break down Psalm 85 in the form of questions, because I feel like that's what I do, I want us to look at three things that the psalmist does in this passage. In verses 1 through 3, scroll back up to the top, it's verses 1 through 3, what we see is remembrance. 
The psalmist writes, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sin. You withdrew your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. He is going back and remembering the work of God for them. As we walk through today, one of the things that you uh, need to know is that I guess genuine revival begins with a remembering, a remembrance of what God has done for you in Christ. That's part of the reason as to why we need revival. We need revival because we have forgotten the work of God for us in Christ. And in Psalm 85, it's actually a community lament. In Psalm 85, what they are ultimately doing is that they are acknowledging their sin. That they recognize that they are estranged from God. That they have become distant from God. That they lack repentance and relationship with God. And so this is their lament. This is their prayer of repentance. And it begins with remembrance. Number two, when we look at verses, I believe it's four through six, I'll just read them briefly. He says, restore us again, O God of our salvation. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? When it comes to revival, they are begging God to do something. They are begging God to do something because, again, they are confronting, they are looking at, they're not just recognizing, but they are confronting their sin. I'll say it a little bit more later. As they are begging for revival, they're being honest. They're not making excuses like you and I do when we say things like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, I mean, we're all human, aren't we? We're going to make mistakes. In Psalm 85, what we see them doing is ultimately asking God for revival because they recognize what their sin has done. That it's actually a big deal. That they have actually committed cosmic treason. And when it comes to remembrance and revival, what we are seeing, and I love this, what we are seeing in this text, it's that it's the people of God crying out to him. It's not just one individual. It is the people of God crying out to him. Here's what I find interesting, because the third thing that the psalmist does in this passage is that he talks about repentance. But when he talks about repentance, he addresses it at the individual level. When it comes to remembrance, it's been uh, the work of God for the people of God. When it comes to revival, it is begging God to do something in the people of God. And when it comes to repentance, they narrow it down to the individual to put ownership on the individual so people wouldn't just kind of like ride the coattails of repentance. And so if you look toward the end, he says, show us your steadfast love let me hear. I love this. Verse, verse 8 is really where I want to focus in on this section. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to his folly. What he is doing is not only submitting their sin before him and his sin before God. What he is saying is, not only am I going to wait for God to do a work, but how you will know that this is genuine is whether or not I return to my sin. Like he lays it on the table. 
He lays that on the table. And so with that being said, we're going to come back to all of these things throughout our time. Um, I want to break down this need for revival through four questions, okay? And if you've been here uh, for a while, you know I love breaking it down with questions, and I have like, I don't know, 38 points. And so we're going to walk through this together, okay? The first question is going to be, what is revival? The second one is, why do we need revival? The third one is, what are the marks of revival, in particular for the individual? And then how do we, how do we ask God to begin revival? Those are going to be the questions that we're going to walk through. So beginning with the first one, so what is, what is revival? I mentioned it earlier that it's not an event, it's not a stirring of emotions, that it's actually a work of the Holy Spirit. And I would actually say it this way, that revival is the restoration of the joy in our salvation through the Spirit of God in the people of God. It is the restoration of the joy in our salvation through the Spirit of God. That's really important. That's really important because that means we need to know our Bibles. We need to know our Bibles and we need to know what God says, not just about himself, but ourself and the condition of our heart. Additionally, we can say that revival is an extraordinary work of God in the people of God. Maybe that's a simpler way of saying it. An extraordinary work of God in the people of God. And when it comes to that word extraordinary, I do not mean that it is a work of God that is new or unusual, but it is a work of God that is intensified. It is something that God is already doing. It is more of the same thing. And to better understand that, we need to understand what the Holy Spirit does. And when we crack open our Bibles, we see that the Holy Spirit counsels us. We see that he transforms us. We see that he comforts us. We see that he convicts us of our sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In revival, we are asking the Holy Spirit, do more of that. Do more of what you are already doing. Revival requires honesty. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 85, he's being straight up with their sin. And he's laying it on the table and he's begging God for revival. That requires honesty and vulnerability. And as we become or as we get more practical in this, that's the first thing. We need to be honest with ourselves concerning the condition of our heart and our sin. Not making an excuse, not saying because of him or her, if only this and if only that, and you don't know about this, and we need to be honest. If we are going to beg the Holy Spirit to do more of what he is doing, in other words, we're going to beg the Holy Spirit to intensify his work for a season we need to be honest. We need to be honest with our sin. And so that's what revival is. It's us begging the Holy Spirit to do more of what he is already doing in us and through us. Revival is the restoration of our joy in our salvation through the Spirit of God. 
That's the first one. The second question is, well, then why do we need revival? Okay, I kind of understand what revival is. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and I suppose he's going to do more. But why do we need to do it? Well, part of the reason we need revival is ultimately because many of us are spiritually dry. They have dry bones. Holly read from Ezekiel 37 earlier today, and that's one of the things he writes about. And God says, I will breathe life into these dry bones. And so we need to ask, or we need to walk through a couple of things as to what has caused this spiritual dryness. And I think this is just an emphasis of us being honest with ourselves. I think this is probably the harder part. So let's walk through a couple of things. Spiritual dryness includes things like arrogance. Let's start there. Perhaps you are spiritually dry, in need of Christ, but man, your heart is actually just so arrogant that you are engulfed with self-righteousness, that you think you're better than everyone, that you actually compare yourself to others so that you would feel good about yourself, so that you would say things like, at least I'm not bad like them or her or him. But as we will look in a moment, the last person you would ever compare yourself to is actually the Lord Jesus. Because you know if you were to compare yourself to the Lord Jesus, you would be instantly humbled. And if you are not instantly humbled, it's because you think you're equal to him. It's because you actually find value, worth, and dignity in your morality. That rather than focusing on the work of God for you in Christ, you think about good versus bad. And the reality is, your morality is not based on what God has done for you in Christ, but it's based on what others think about you. And so you're just arrogant. Therefore, you're spiritually dry. Maybe that's your story right now. Maybe you're just callous. This is where you have allowed yourself to become bitter. You have allowed yourself to become bitter toward others. You have allowed yourself maybe even to become bitter toward the church. And so as a result, your heart is actually hard. And even when it comes to the word of God, that's just not the answer. While each one of these results might find themselves in this reason, arrogance and callousness do find themselves in somewhere, do find themselves in a place where, now, the problem isn't me. Uh, yeah, the Bible says some good things, but I don't think that's it. And so maybe you would even find or justify your reason for your spiritual dryness as a result of, I just need to get a good book. That's what it is. Or maybe you need to define yourself or find uh, value, worth, and dignity in someone else. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's in the ministry that you lead or the business that you own. You've just become arrogant or callous. Number three, estranged. Uh, what I mean by that is that there is a lack of repentance 
in your life and you are deep in your sin. You are deep in your sin. Perhaps that is why you are spiritually dry. Now the thing about many of these, in particular arrogance and callousness and estranged, is that it's not a surprise to the individual. It's not a surprise. You're aware. You just don't want to address it. Number four, the lack of reverence. I think this is what I would talk about when it comes to a lack of reverence. It would probably be that cultural Christian. You know, good people go to heaven because they go to church. That your life speaks and and, and spills over a lot of good and bad things, but it is void of Jesus. It is void of the gospel. And so when you do come to church, you might say things like, that was a good message. That's a good sermon. Good job on that. But there is, in reality, there is no relationship with you and the Lord. Number five, some of you may be spiritually dead. The Bible teaches that we are born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And it is a work of God that makes us alive. Makes us alive. Revival is begging the Holy Spirit to awaken hearts. Maybe your heart is just like super knocked out and asleep. Revival is begging the Holy Spirit to awaken your heart. Revival is also begging the Spirit to renew your heart. Maybe you you just don't know Jesus. Revival is begging the Holy Spirit but through repentance to come to know Jesus. The beauty of, of, of the Bible is that, that God is continually inviting us and calling us to himself. Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. These are just a couple of reasons as to why we need Revival. And so as we've walked through a couple of things as like, what is revival? Why do we need revival? Well, let's look at the marks of revival. What I love about these questions, I think, is that they kind of go a little bit deeper each time. They don't allow us to necessarily stay on the surface. They beg the question, but why? And so let's look at the third question. What are the marks of revival? Same thing, I got another five. If you're taking notes, this is your lucky day because there's lots of them, right? What are the marks of revival? This is when it comes specifically to the individual. We can look at things in terms of the church, and we will in a moment, but we're looking specifically at the marks of revival in the individual. Number one, it is this deep awareness of God's presence. It's a deep awareness of God's presence. If you want to get a little nerdy, the Latin word for this is quorum Deo, living in the presence of God. Living in the presence of God under the authority of God. Here's what we know, or here's what I mean by that. That God has made himself known by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross on behalf of sinners. God has made himself known through Jesus. In light of that, 
In light of that, the only person you and I can compare ourselves to is God. I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah. This is chapter 6, verse 5. He writes, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God reveals himself to Isaiah, and the first thing Isaiah says is, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. God has made himself known through his son Jesus. He makes himself known through his word. And yet that's often not our response. I'm reminded of, uh, this is 1 Timothy, I think chapter 1 verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am, the chief of or of who I am the foremost, what Paul is doing in that, he is saying, I am comparing myself to no one other than Jesus. I'm not looking to the left and I'm not looking to the right. I am comparing myself to my Lord and Savior and King. Woe is me. One of the marks of revival is this deep awareness, this sensitive awareness of God's presence. That's number one. Number two, God's word. Here's what I mean by that. That when we, when we are made aware and sensitive to the presence of God, man, we are made aware and sensitive to the word of God. That his word doesn't only impart truth, but it imparts authority. And because it imparts authority, it calls us to repentance, to turn away from our sin and to trust in Christ alone. It imparts repentance and faith and worship. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. Check it. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We become sensitive to the word of God because the word of God exposes us. The word of God exposes us. And when the word of God exposes us and the condition of our hearts, it leads us to conviction or it ought to lead us to conviction. And so what does that mean? Conviction is a deep awareness, not only of what is sinful, but how sinful we are. In revival, the Holy Spirit quickens conviction. Remember, it's an intensified season of what he's already doing. He intensifies that conviction because we realize that we are living in the presence of God and that the word of God exposes us, but also teaches us about who God is and what he has done. And as a result, we are made sensitive to our sin because we're not only aware of what sin is, we are aware of how sinful we actually are and how much in need of Jesus we are. Whether you've been a Christian for one month or you've been a Christian for 10 years, there is a sensitivity when it comes to sin. Like, sin is a big deal. 
And I think oftentimes this is where we try to, try to negotiate. Because we'll say things like God's presence, got it, God's word, I love it, I have coffee with the word every morning, right? And then when it comes to conviction, we're like, okay, wait, let's kind of step back. This is the reason. Or, well, it's because of certain things, or it's because of him or her. Again, some of the same things I've already been talking about. We tend to, man, rather than repent of our sin, we tend to want to negotiate with the God of the universe, Rather than repent, we want to deflect because I think we genuinely believe we're just not that bad, right? And the reason I think we think that we're not that bad is because there are people who are worse off than us. I mean, yeah, I've sinned, but I haven't murdered, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I've sinned, but I haven't done these things. Like, that's got to take, that's, God's got to take that into account some point, right? And I think when we begin to negotiate, we lose, or we actually, what we're actually saying is that we don't have an awareness of our sin, and it goes back to that question of why we need revival, then why is because maybe you're arrogant, or callous, or you're strange, or you really don't know who God is. So there's conviction. Number four, what do I write for number four? Community lament and corporate worship. Here's, here's what I mean by that. In, in revival, in revival, just like we read in Psalm 85, there is this community lament of recognizing, of being convicted of their sin. When it, when it comes to the people of God, Sunday gathering, whatever, community groups, all that stuff, when it comes to that, I think, I think we, we still want to be consumers and we still want to live kind of an individualistic lifestyle. And what we see in Psalm 85 is the people of God just being gut-wrenched by their sin. I think, I think when it comes to revival, that, that's what we need to do. That we need to actually, as, as the people of God, as a church, that we need to lament our sin. That when we read things like the Lord's Prayer, it's not just the next part of the service. It is as the people of God, as the body, we are confessing our sin together. Is repentance meant to happen at the individual level? Sure. And I think there is this recognizing of our sin together that we have sinned against a holy God. And so when it comes to corporate worship, Corporate worship, it just means that God is at the center of our hearts and devotion. And it doesn't have anything to do with the style of music that we play or the eloquence of preaching. It has everything to do with the work of the Spirit. And finally, number five, that there's fruit. Matthew 3, 8, this is Jesus. I think he's telling, I can't remember. I think he's telling the Pharisees or he's telling his disciples. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I'll talk about this more later and, and in particular next week. Repentance also is not a special event. Repentance is something that we ought to do daily. The reformer Martin Luther said that when God called us to repent, he called us to it for a, he called us to it for a lifetime. 
So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Revival breeds evangelism. Because, because if you think about it, it's an intensified season of the work of God in you. And as that is happening, it ought to spill over. And as it spills over, it should breed evangelism, where Christians are preaching the word boldly and fearlessly, where the truth is spreading, where people are being revived, where hearts are being made new. It ought to breed evangelism. It doesn't just stay with you. I think even at that, we'll hear about revival and you'll think about the season that you're in, which is important. But even as you think about the season you're in and as you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you think, this is for me. This is for me and no one else because this is the kind of season I'm in. It spills over onto everybody. It spills over onto your coworkers, onto your friends, onto your spouse. It spills over onto your children. It breeds evangelism. It is a loud emphasis that your faith is not private. It may be personal, but it is not private. And we may not get to this. We may not get to the bear the fruit part because we're too busy negotiating and deflecting our sin. And if that's the case, revival won't build momentum. Revival doesn't happen. You need to be honest. And finally, we've looked at what is revival? Why do we need revival? What are the marks of revival? Excuse me. And finally, the question is, well, how do we ask God for it? How does God provide revival? I'll give you two things. Eh, It's really just one. But, you know, with a lot of sub points. (laughs) Anyway. Here's how God provides revival. Through ordinary means of grace. That's it. All right. Pretty cut and dry through ordinary means of grace. I want to talk about three of them. Okay? I want to talk about three of them. The first one is the ministry of the Word. God provides revival through the ministry of His Word. Now I want to talk, again, I told you there's a lot of subpoints in this. When it comes to the ministry of the word, I want to address two things. One, I certainly want to address your time in the word of God. But remember, your time in the word of God is so that it would ultimately lead to worship or a better understanding of who God is. That it would lead to implication where, man, God is calling you to believe in this. Or it would lead to repentance where you are to repent of your sin. I think too many times we are treating the word of God kind of like an arcade, right? You drop a token, you get something, right? You get a video game, you get a couple of rounds in in Mortal Kombat or whatever, right? Like you get something out of it. I think oftentimes we treat our time, our communion with the Lord like it's a video game. Okay, my token is going to be my time. And so I'm going to spend the next... 30 minutes, because that's kind of a holy number, and so I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes uh, reading your word. Give me something, Lord. 
give me something. What if he doesn't? What if, what if communion with God is really just based on commitment and faithfulness? What about that? Is that too ordinary? Because over and over and over again, we see men and women just sit throughout Scripture, just sit committed, faithful, and devoted to the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What is it that you treat the Word of God like? Is it your video game? What would it look like for you to simply be faithful, devoted, and committed? Well, what if God doesn't? I don't know. What if He doesn't? Check it. The psalmist repents And then he goes on to say, I will wait, right? Let's go back up. He says, let me hear what the Lord will speak. He is saying, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until he speaks. I don't know if it's because of our culture or we're, you know, Westerners or the American church or whatever, but we treat it like that. God, why aren't you telling me something? And yet the psalmist is here saying, I'm going to wait until he speaks. And so as I wait, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. What if we were just faithful in our presence when it came to the communion with God? In addition to that, when it comes to the ministry of the Word, I want to speak to the Sunday gathering. When it comes to the Sunday gathering, this is not an event. This is a time where the saints, the people of God, gather to worship the risen King. Every Sunday is like a mini Easter. It's not just once a year. Right? He is alive and well. He is resurrected and he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Not just specific Sundays on April. And I think because we treat the Sunday gathering like an event, if you treat it like an event, then it will become an event. And events are always optional. I don't really feel like going. I'll listen to it online. It'll be up at some point. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, like, if you're never here, like, I'm going to be on you. You know, some people are providentially hindered. Their work schedules, right? Like one of the guys is an EMT. He can't always be here on Sunday. Yeah, totally. Summer's coming. You maybe plan some time off. Totally get it. I understand it. But there is a lack of value when we treat this like an event. And we say something about what we believe about Jesus when we treat this like an event. The same is said concerning the pulpit. When it comes to the pulpit, when it comes to the preached word, what is being spoken is the word of God. One of my goals, you guys have started to see some of this, is to develop other preachers for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, sometimes I need a break. Just going to be honest. Number two, right? Number two, it's to protect me. I don't want to be a celebrity pastor. I'm already ugly, right? That's number two. Number three, it's to protect you. If you're here, if you are, if you are here, because I just like the way Marco preaches, you're at the wrong place. I'm telling you, I'm going to drop the ball on you. And that's saying something more about you than me. 
right? So we're going to have a team, like we're going to have preachers up here. And so you're here because the Word of God is preached. You're here because the Word of God is exalted. You're here because we talk, we sit in this awkward hot tub of talking about sin. Right? We talk about repentance. We talk about the risen Christ. So number one, the ordinary means of grace is the ministry of the Word. How do you view the Sunday gathering? How do you view your communion with the Lord? Number two, the sacraments. Christ left the church two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I just want to talk briefly about the Lord's Supper. In a moment, we're going to get an opportunity to respond in worship through the Lord's Supper. We take that very, very seriously. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Because when you step forward, it's not just to receive the bread and the wine and or juice, right? It's not just to receive that. You are stepping forward saying, my salvation has not been achieved. I have received my salvation on behalf of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as you step forward to the Lord's Supper, you ought to breathe humility. There's a reason we slow things down for communion and the Lord's Supper. It's not only to think about the sermon, but it is also a time to reflect and confess our sins because we are actually taking our sins seriously. We have actually distanced ourselves from the Lord and it is an opportunity, not the only one, but it is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves, to repent of our sin. And as we come forward, we come forward broken yet thankful because of what God has done for us in Christ. It's not just another part of the service. And finally, under the ordinary means of grace, number three would be prayer. Think of it this way. Every time we think about revival, aside from the tents, right, think about fire. I want you to think of prayer as like the kindling to that fire. You know, every time you throw kindling, the fire gets bigger, gets stronger, right? That's what prayer is. Now, I've been blessed by, by this. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's an acronym. You may already know it. I'll go through it very, very quickly. Uh, it's, the, it's the ACTS form of, of prayer. I love that. The reason I love it is because, one, it's a system. I love systems, right? Uh, number, number two, uh, it teaches me more about prayer than, than I think I could teach myself about prayer. So when you, look about, when you look at ACTS, it stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Really, really good. Really good, right? Uh, parents, if you uh, pray with your kids, I would recommend this. It's, it's a great, whatever. Anyway, Acts, when it comes to adoration, here's what I love about adoration. Because I've asked people this before. Uh, I think my top two favorite questions to ask is what is the gospel? That's number one. I've asked that question a couple times in the past three weeks. Almost everybody's frozen on it, right? Uh, church? No, okay, right? So what is the gospel? The next thing has to do with adoration. Tell me about who God is. Um, adoration forces you to slow down and think about the character of God, that he's kind, 
but he's generous, but he's also committed to truth and justice. It's adoration. Confession, we've talked about that, right? Where we confess our sin, where we agree with the charges that have been brought before us and we actually confess those before God. Thanksgiving, it's different than adoration. If adoration is, man, it is about who God is, then Thanksgiving is about what God has done. Now, before we get to supplication, right? If you think about it, ACT, all we've done is pour ourselves out in light of who God is and what he's done. We've poured out our sin. You haven't even gotten to your request yet. That's the whole point. It ought to build you or ought to bring you to a posture of humility. Because adoration and confession and thanksgiving ought to lead you to this place where you are in the presence of God and you're comparing yourself to no one else but Him. Where your prayer ultimately, when it comes to supplication, is woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I think that needs to be our prayer. And so yes, finally we get to S, supplication. You submit your request but it is a request that has been submitted in humility. It is a request that has been submitted because the word of God has exposed you. And that's it. How, do we, how does God provide revival? It's through the ministry of the word and through, through, through the Lord's Supper and through prayer. And there are more. I just wanted to highlight those three. And so here's, here's just last reminders. The truth is not everybody is going to experience revival. But there are two fruitful reminders for revival. Number one, revival requires humility. Talked about that right now through the Acts prayer. Revival requires humility. Number two, revival requires dependence. I want you to go back to verse 8. He says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to keep showing up, and I'm going to continue to wait on the Lord. If we turn back to our sin, then this wasn't genuine. You will have known that this wasn't genuine. By the psalmist continually turning back to God in prayer, he is demonstrating dependence. He is demonstrating dependence. What if God didn't answer the first week? He's still going back. He's still going back. What would it look like if our life was really just about faithful, was uh, really just about faithfulness? Just showing up. Showing up to the Word of God. Showing up to our time with God. Begging the Holy Spirit for revival, for His glory, not yours. It's for His glory and your good. Revival requires dependence. And so here's where I'll close. The work of revival is both for the sleeping heart and for the dead heart. It is the Holy Spirit breathing life into us for His glory and our good. Therefore, revival begins with repentance. 
Revival begins with repentance. Let us be the church that takes sin seriously, repents boldly with lament and grief, and worships loudly. In a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to respond through giving, through the Lord's Supper, and through song. Let us not waste it. As we walk further into this season, let us be a church who begs the Holy Spirit for revival, and it begins with repentance. Let's pray. God, I don't think there is a, a we, we, none of us can say that we are, uh, you know, not guilty of sin. I actually don't think that that is the question. I think the question, Lord, for, for our hardened hearts or our confused hearts is what really is sin? God, as we close uh, our time this morning, my prayer is that, Holy Spirit, you would, as I mentioned earlier, comfort and convict us of our sin. That you would draw us closer to yourself and that we would draw near to you through repentance, through prayer, and really through humility. God, I pray that we would take sin seriously, that it's not just something that, oh, because we're human or because we're imperfect, yeah, it's something we do, but that we would take it seriously, that if we desire for our souls to be revived, we would demonstrate dependence on your word, that we would demonstrate dependence on you and not our strength. Lord, would you forgive us of our arrogance? Would you forgive us of our callousness? God, you are gracious and patient. And so these things that we submit to you aren't a surprise, but a demonstration of your patience toward us. God, you, would you revive our souls this morning for the glory of your name and our good? God, as we walk into a time of worship or a time of giving. May this be a time where, may this be one of many ways in which we respond to you in worship. God, I pray for, um, I pray for the handling of these finances, that they would ultimately serve to advance your gospel in our city and our community, that it would be a demonstration of transformation in our hearts and that through this sacrificial and faithful giving that people would come to know you. That people would come to worship you. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.